The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Running from Grace, the Gospel According to Jonah. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. If you have an app, open up the app. We have a Sacred City app that you can find in the App Store. On the Version Bible app, you can search Live Event. You can find all of our liturgy there. And I, my wife came home yesterday, or last Sunday, and she said, um, I've grown, I, I was raised in church. Uh, I was raised in kids' ministry, and I just, I don't think I've ever, ever read Jonah chapter 4, and th- what we just had read today. And I was like, I know. I don't know why. Our Sunday school teachers, they only like to teach Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah, Jonah tap- chapter 2, and it's three verses into Jonah chapter 3. But very few people have heard the story of Jonah, that Jonah's not about a fish. It's, it's not about a whale. The whale makes an appearance in three verses. Right? Jonah is about a man running from God, actually men and women running from God. And there's, we've seen there's two ways to run from God, right? There's the moral way to run from God. You can try to be a really good person and really buttoned up and really moral and really ethical. And you can actually be running from grace in your morality. And that's what Jonah's been doing. He's, he's better than others. He's an Israelite. He's a Hebrew. He, he's a good man with good morals, and he's running from God. But then we also see the Ninevites, who are evil, they're wicked, they're violent people, the Scriptures say, and they're running from God just like rebels, right? They're just, I, who are you to tell me what to do? I'll live my life the way that I want to live my life. I'll do what I want to do, live how I want to live. And Jonah showed us there's t- both of those types of people are actually running from grace. They're, they're running from the only way that the true God of the universe relates to human beings, and that's through grace. And it's been interesting to see kind of Jonah runs from God. God, throw, God throws him into the sea, right? He's swallowed up by a whale. Jonah repents. He comes to his senses. The whale, God speaks to the whale. The whale spits him up on the shore. And then Jonah, God says, go back, go to Nineveh. Jonah actually goes to Nineveh kind of with a bad attitude, right? He says, repent, everybody. God shows up with this amazing miracle. The whole city repents. And then Jonah walks out of the city angry. Angry enough to die, that his idol, his comfort has been taken from him. And then we see God just do what God, only God does, the sovereign God of the universe. He speaks to a plant, right? And this plant grows up and gives him a little bit of comfort. Then he takes the plant away through a worm, and, and he appoints the worm, and he appoints the sun, and he appoints the wind. And he's taking away these props or these crutches out from under Jonah. And he's taking away these idols, these creature comforts from Jonah because he's trying to do something. And what we're seeing over and over and over is that though Jonah is a believer, Jonah cannot get a grip on God's love. See, Jonah knows about it, right? But he can't remember it when it counts. Now listen, that's something big right there. Jonah knows about the love of God, but he can't can't believe it when it counts. He knows the correct Bible answers, but those answers haven't made their impact as they should in his heart. That is to say, Jonah knows the love of God theologically. He knows the love of God intellectually, but he doesn't know it intimately. He doesn't know it experientially, like down in his bones, where every decision he makes in life is shaped like this. I am so loved by God, I'll do this, right? He doesn't make decisions that way. If God's love is like an ocean, Jonah is standing on the shoreline with his feet in the water. He can see it. He can hear its power. 
He can even feel it tickling his toes, but he's not submersed in it. He's not overwhelmed by it. The waves aren't crashing over his head. Now listen, he was in chapter 2. Do we remember that? God took him out into the deeps of his love, right? God made him aware just how sinful and loved, like that simultaneous experience of being worse than you ever thought possible, but more loved than you ever hoped. Jonah experienced that in the belly of the whale. But now he spit back up on shore, and now he's literally back on the shore again with his toes tickling in the love of God. He's kind of moved on, and he's forgotten the one lesson that he learned in the belly of the whale. Now can I ask you, how many of you have been here? How many of you have been in a situation like this? You've had a great experience of the love of God at one time or another in your life, right? The grace of God just, you know, erupted in your life and became brand new and you were just submersed in it. You felt like grace was just like waves crashing over your head, but now you're kind of dull to it, right? Your feet are on the shore with your toes barely in the water. When you hear People talk about God's love. It's, it's almost blasé. It doesn't warm your heart or move you to compassion or fill you with strength to live a life that demands a gospel explanation, a life of holiness, right? A life of God-centeredness, of God, a life of worship. Maybe the, the gospel, it once did great things in your life, but now it no longer brings tears to your eyes. I think this is a huge problem for anyone who calls themselves a Christian. In fact, I think I've even heard it perpetuated in the church that there's this notion that the, the most intimate season of a Christian's life, the most experiential season of a Christian life, is when they first understand the gospel. They first understand the gospel, and that's the best it's ever going to be. And then we kind of say, oh, it's downhill from now, sucker. Right? That's kind of what we teach. We expect Many times people come to faith and be emotional and move their heart. And then now it's just going to, it's going to get, you know, now you're going to find just really how hard it is. And it's going to get, it's downhill from there. Right? It's exciting when we first believe it. It's thrilling. It's new. But after a while, it becomes kind of old news. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm accepted by God. Let's talk about something new. Let's move on to some big words like pneumatology, study the things of the spirit, or eschatology, study the things of the end times, or let's talk about old earth and new earth debates, right? Or more importantly, how can I get my kids to listen to me, right? Let's talk about really practical things. But we kind of move on from the gospel. We move on from the, the message, the central message of Christianity. Now, I'm not really sure where this notion came from, but it's nothing new. And it's absolutely not true. To stick with my ocean illustration, if God's love is like the ocean, the beach is great, right? Like the surf is great, but what lies out in the deep is even greater, even more magnificent what lies out in the deep. If your knowledge of the ocean is, only, is reserved to what you've experienced on the beach with a pina colada in your hand and, the feet in your, and your feet in the water, right? You'll never know the ocean, like some people do. I was reading this week in a book called Yawning at Tigers by Drew Dick. It was great. It's a great book. And he says this, In 2010, after a decade of work by nearly 3,000 researchers, scientists produced the first census of marine life. 
The researchers in 2010, the researchers discovered 6,000 new species in the ocean, bringing the total number of known marine species to 250,000, right? 250,000 species of marine life. That, that means there's a lot going on down in the deep that can't be discovered by chilling on the beach, right? You're, you're never going to see that. You're never going to experience that by hanging out and just enjoying the beach. You've got to actually swim out into the deep. You've got to study and research and explore and catalog, right? If you want to understand the ocean, you've got to get out there and experience it. You've got to go down deep. Listen, the gospel is the same way. When you first understand it, when you first feel God wash your sins away, it is freeing. I can, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm washed, I'm cleansed, I've been filled with the Spirit, I've been given power. It's absolutely life-changing, it's absolutely freeing. It's the first time, it's very similar to the first time you step your feet in the ocean. Whoa, maybe you're a little kid, maybe you're older, you're looking out, whoa. You hear the, the, the roar of the waves, whoa, you feel it hit you. I mean, it's just, it's great. But that isn't the best moment of a Christian's life. That isn't the high point, and now everything else is kind of downhill. Listen, Christian, and those of you who aren't Christian, we're calling you into this today. God calls you into the deep. God does not want you to become a Christian and just chill on the beach. Understanding the gospel in a very elementary way. He's calling us out into the deep. And I, I'm saying this morning that we need, we need to swim out. We need to swim out into gospel deeps. We need to study and experience. We need to get out into the deep where the wild things are. Because only out there will we come to understand the one-way love of God in a way that gets more overwhelming and more real and more powerful than the day when we first believed. But I think this goes against a lot. That we're fighting. We're going against the stream here. We're, this goes against a lot of our cultural sensibilities. See, many of us are looking for a God who meets my needs, right? We're looking for a God who will help me get where I want to go. I come to church because I need a spouse. I come to church because I want God to help me raise my kids. I come to church because I, I have this kind of emptiness in my soul, and I, I want God to kind of give me a pick-me-up. I have some addictions that I want God to take from me. I, I, I come to God so that he can do something for me, right? Like he can kind of help me on my plans and help me on my way. God, this is the direction I want to go. I'm going to kind of use God to help me get there. See, we want a God in our culture who will serve the needs of my life. Serve the plans of my life. Don't we want a God? Listen, here, here, here's the juxtaposition. Here's the problem. Don't we want a God who will make my life less complicated? Don't we want a God who will make my life less wild? Right? Well, here's the problem. If that's you, and I, I'm going to just say it up front tonight, don't come to the God of the Bible. Because he's not that God. 
And that God you have in your head is a, is a cultural creation of our own sin and our own self. Here's what the reality. You want a God like you. Well, if he's a real God, you know he's not going to be like you. Right? You know that. And God is not tameable. He's wild. He does the unexpected. He unapologetically blows up our plans and calls us into his mission. He unapologetically builds walls in front of our plans and goes, no. He unapologetically <laughs> takes away things from us that we want to say, I need this. Jonah had the, the plant, right? I need this for my comfort. God takes it away. He calls us out of our comfort, out of our addiction to security, and into a life, here's what he says, that can only be lived by faith. This morning, Jesus is calling us to leave our comfort, to leave the comfort of the beach, and to swim out into the danger zone. Now, listen, he's not calling us to do this for thrills and danger in itself, right? I'm not saying dangerous, you know, you, you, you need to go to Iraq and you need to give your life over there. I'm not saying you need to go do something radical or something crazy for Jesus, I'm saying he's calling us out into this deep, out into the, what is going to be a little bit dangerous, because that's where he is. He's calling us to himself. And out there in the wild, that's where we will come to know him in the way that we cannot experience on the beach. It takes faith to leave the shore and to swim out where the wild things are. Now, the Apostle Paul makes this crazy statement in Romans 14, where he says, he's talking about the, the, the obedience and the behavior of the Christian, and he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Listen, I want you to hear that. Whatever does not proceed from faith. So that means any behavior that you can trace back and its root is not in faith, that behavior is sinful. Now, that right there will cook your noodle if you sit on it for a while, if you really think about it for a while. Because what he's saying is our behavior, even our good works, even our good behavior, even our behavior to God or for God, they can fall short. They can be done in our own strength and not from faith. I can, I can write a check and not have any faith, just write a check, right? Or I can serve and not even think about what Jesus has done for me and how he's motivated my belief. I just do it because I do it, and that's what good people do. That's sin. Anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Now, think about that. When God calls us to sacrificially, like all the members at Sacred City, we, we commit to give a tithe, a 10% of our income, right? When God calls us to give of our finances sacrificially, he, he says, I want you to start at 10%. And, and I'll be honest, that scares us. If you come to faith, especially, you know, if, if you're a new believer and you first hear that, God wants 10% of my money? That shocks us, that, that scares us. That's, but listen, that's God saying, come out into the deep. Come out in where the wild things are. Come out here where you have to live by faith. But what we think is, no, 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 not in the deep. I, I, I don't think I'll be able to survive out there. There's sharks out there. There's wild things out there. I'm going to stay right here on the beach, and I'm going to tickle my toes in the water, and I'm going to watch all the other people swim. I'm just going to stay where it's comfortable. 
I don't know if I'll be able to survive out there. I, I'm not that good of a swimmer. I don't know if I can make it. And here's what we're saying. I don't know if God will take care of me. I don't know if God will actually help me if I'm in the ocean. If I'm out in the deep, will God actually protect me? Will God actually keep me? Will God actually provide for me? If I were to give 10% of my income, would I go broke? Would I go in the red? Would I fail? Would I fall short? God might let me drown out there. So what do we do? We back off. Okay, I'll I'll give 2%. We're tickling. We're getting our ankles in the water. I'll give 2%, and we'll see what God says about that. Or we'll see how, how, how that goes. And we're, we're kind of easing our way. We're staying safe. And I'm going to say, that's not giving that proceeds from faith. And because you're trying to stay safe, you are not going to experience the danger or the thrill of being out in the deep with God. Your fear and your lack of faith is actually keeping you from experiencing the grace of God that can only be found out in the deep. That there's some things that can only be learned in the deep. You're never going to learn to swim in ankle deep water. You're never going to learn the life of faith if you're still on the beach. You're not going to experience the the miraculous uh, God who meets needs. And I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. A man and I were... I shared it with my missional community this week. A man and I were in Omaha, and when we went to Omaha to, to be church planting uh, residents and to be trained to plant this church a few years ago, um, God had blessed us, and we had, we, we had about $15,000 in our savings, and we got out there, and I wasn't working, and I, I ended up working at Whole Foods for a little while, but we could barely make ends meet, obviously, and we had, we had a rental property here, and that rental property was empty. We were trying to sell it, and it was just empty month after month, so we were literally paying our rent out there and paying our mortgage, and just that $15,000 was gone like this. And we were trying to sell it, couldn't sell it, and I, I was in a staff meeting one morning with the pastors, and my wife texted me, and she said, uh, savings account is empty. What are we going to do? And I was like, oh, like pit of my stomach. Like we, we had been giving faithfully, we've been tithing, we've always tithed, and bank account, zero. And I'm at Whole Foods, right? I, I, was, I, I mean, I was getting paid decent. I was making $12 an hour at Whole Foods. But uh, that doesn't really support a family and two mortgages, right? And I, I, I put my stuff down, and I was like, crap, here we go. What's going to happen? It's been a year. We're out, of, we're out of savings. I don't know what to do. And the pastor said, hey, let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. I said, all right, let's pray. And we prayed. We gave it to the Lord. And now this, and, and we, put, we, we put the house, I'm like, just put it everywhere. Put it on Craigslist, put it everywhere. And that night, okay, that night, a buyer from Craigslist said, hey, I got $5,000 here. I'll give you the down payment right now. I want the house. That night. Now, bank account zero, right? We're broke. We're in Omaha. We don't know anybody. We give it up to the Lord, and God meets our needs like that. Now, listen, I would have never experienced that if I wasn't out in the deep. I would have never... I, there was a thousand reasons for me not to go to Omaha, right? I had, there was 150 people that called me their pastor here. We could have stuck it out here. We could have done, but I felt God was calling me out where the wild things are. God was calling me to do something that couldn't be explained except by faith. And he took all my finances and it got to zero. And I literally, I had a little argument with Jesus. I had a little, like, really, God? Why, why do I got to get to zero? Like, why couldn't you have done this when there was 15K in the bank? I still would have said, oh, thank God, right? Why do we got to get to zero before you actually meet the needs? 
But that's a, there's, there's something there that God's calling us into a life of faith. And many of us will not trust him, will not take that step of faith. So we're never going to experience that kind of miraculous meeting where literally within six or eight hours, you come to the end of yourself, you cry out to God, and he miraculously provides for it in one day's time. We're not going to experience it because we're not doing it. Now listen, I think we've seen this with Jonah. I think this is, we, we see Jonah not wanting to go out into the deep with God, right? God says, go to Nineveh. And for Jonah, that just, it twists every circuit in his brain. He can't do it. I don't want to go into the wild. I don't want to go into Nineveh. It was the most powerful and wicked city of the 8th century B.C. Jonah wanted to stay safe. He wanted to stay in Israel. He wanted to be, he wanted to worship a God that was for him and his people. A nice little local God with respectable aspirations and respectable associates. We want a God who likes people like us. Jonah didn't want a God, listen, whose love was so reckless and wild that it, was enough, that it would adopt people like the Ninevites. And he for sure didn't want this God to send him to a people and a place that he didn't want to go. No respectable Israelite would go to Nineveh. Don't send me to Nineveh. I hate Nineveh. I hate those people. And God says, there's something special for the Ninevites that you, you're bringing, but there's also something special that I want you to find, Jonah. And Jonah, the only place you're going to find it is in Nineveh. Now, you better hear that. Israel were the people of God. Israel belonged the covenant. Israel belonged the commandments. Israel belonged the law. Israel belonged the temple and the tabernacle. Israel had the favor of God. But God was telling this to an Israelite, in order for you to experience me in a new way, in order for the gospel to go from here to your heart, you're only going to experience it in the wild. Church folk need to hear that. There's something up that God has for us that, that maybe we can't even experience it in this gathering, but we've got to experience it out where the wild things are. Out there, Jonah, not only 120,000 Ninevites get grace, right? Because Jonah obeys eventually. But Jonah... He, he gets it. He, he gets it a little more. He gets it. A, the gospel goes a little deeper. It's a little harder to ignore in his life that God relates to us by grace. And the only, the only way that even an insider can come to God is through the grace of God. I'm never good enough. God never chooses. He's not a respecter of persons. And he never chooses me based upon my goodness or my obedience or my morality. It's simply by his grace. Now, this is one of the reasons, now to kind of take a principle from this, this is one of the reasons at Sacred City we say all the time that the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. In community and on mission. That is to say, the only way to make disciples is in the wild. That there's something crucial about discipleship that takes place outside of these doors in foreign places, and I, and I really mean, I mean, when I say that, I don't, mean, I don't want you to think foreign missions fields, Africa, and all these places, I want you to think your neighborhood, I want you to think your job, your place of employment, you know, that's where the wild things are, right, like that, that's, that's where things can get crazy, disciples, that means a follower of Jesus, 
cannot follow Jesus if they stay safe and comfortable. That's not where Jesus hangs out. That's not the mission that he is on. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Come follow me. And then Jesus dives in and he swims out into the deep. And we have a choice. And I'm going to say we have a choice this morning. When Jesus dives into the deep and he swims out where the wild things are, we, are we going to stay on the shore and go, go ahead. Tell me about it when you get back. I like the stories of all the people getting saved out there and, and all the neighbors hearing the gospel and, and the workplace being rejuvenated by the gospel. And I love the stories, so I'm going to stay here. And you come back and tell me about them. Now, do you want to be that person? Or do you want to be a person that follows Jesus out there and sees God do great renewal and great work out there in your neighbors, at your gym, at your work? See, Sacred City is not... Oh, I don't want to get that yet. Okay, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. So, God calls us out of the deep, right? When, When I say He calls us into community and on mission... All of, those callings are callings into the wild. See, it's out there in a community that I can't control. How many of you experienced this? It's out there in a community that I can't control with people I can't control that God teaches me the deep things of the gospel. See, I don't, I don't just learn it by reading a book on the gospel at home. I can get that here, but I can't get it here. Or I don't get it here. But it's when I'm out there in community, when people ask me a question that I don't want them to ask me, and then they speak the gospel to me, or somebody's sin rubs me the wrong way and I have to confess and repent. And it's out there in the wild, in community, where I'm being pressured and I'm being forced to take my church lady face off and be a real human being. It's out there where the gospel goes from here to here. But we're scared of that, aren't we? We're scared of the wild. We're scared of the mask coming off. We're scared of being real. We're scared of having nothing but the gospel to hold on to. See, that's the difference between the ocean and the pool, right? The pool, you always get tired. you got a little 10-foot swim you can hold on to the side of the pool, right? Community doesn't come with that. God wants us out there where the only hope is the rescuer. That's Jesus. If you're out in the ocean and you're drowning, the only hope is Jesus, who's the perfect swimmer, okay? That's the only hope. And that God wants us out there in community that's like that. If we're going to have a problem, we're going to have to go to the gospel. We're going to have to be reminded of what Jesus has done for me and who Jesus is for me. And the same thing goes for mission. Right? It's out there on mission when I don't want to get up and do something or I don't want to share my, the gospel with someone. It's out there where God is massaging the gospel deeper down into my bones. It's out there in the wild where I'm confronted with my unbelief. See, that's where all my sin, all my, that's where it all comes from. My lack of faith, it's unbelief, right? Jonah was confronted by God three times. And that, it, that's only God like verbally confronting him. Obviously, he, he was confronted by the sailors, right? Thrown overboard. Then he's confronted by the fish, right? He's confronted many times. But in this last chapter, Jonah's confronted three times by God. God comes to him and goes, Jonah, why are you so angry? It's like, now I don't recommend this, Okay. But it's like the dad who takes the kid and throws him in the deep end. And he's out there. Why are you freaking out? 
I, I think that's a pretty good picture sometimes of what God's calling us into. He's wanting to get us to get out in the deep end where we can see, why, are, why am I freaking out? Do I not trust the guy right there? Do I not trust Jesus? Do I think I'm going to drown? Do I think I'm going to die? God throws Jonah out into the wild where he's not comfortable, and Jonah gets angry, and God presses on it, confronts him three times. Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Why do you hate the Ninevites? Why do you think you're better than they are? Why do you think that you deserve my grace and they deserve my judgment and wrath? See, Jonah is being confronted by God because he's lost sight of the one, the one most, the most vital message of Christianity. That God loves sinners who respond humbly to him and cry out to him for salvation. God opposes the proud who think they're good who think they're righteous, who think they're better than anyone else. God opposes them, but gives grace to the humble. St. Aquinas famously said, and I think this is where they get the old, uh, you know, what's the three rules of real estate? Right, location, location, location. St. Aquinas said, what's the three rules of Christianity? Humility, humility, humility. So, what does God do? God throws him into the wild, confronts him in his idolatry. Why? Because God wants Jonah. Listen, Christians, this is, when we're out there in community and on mission, this is where we diagnose what's going on in our own heart. And God wants to confront Jonah to see what's going on in his own heart, that Jonah is proud and therefore he's running from grace. See, when we see ourselves as better than others. We are running from the grace of God. In that moment, we don't know it, but in that moment, we're trying to relate to God through our pride. We are trying to say to God, you should love me. You should give me grace because I am moral and I am nice and I'm a good person and I'm better behaved than those people over there. And when we are living with that in our heart, the gospel of grace can like lie dormant in our lives and our hearts grow cold our relationships get bitter, and we can even get angry enough to blame God and just wallow in self-pity, saying, God, you somehow got it wrong in my life. And we pull back from community, and we pull back from mission, and we just think about our little domain in our house, and I'm just going to stay home and watch Netflix. I'm going to stay where it's safe. I'll go to church when it's convenient and it's not raining, right? or it's not snowing, or it's not cold, or there's not neighbors in town, or there's not things to do, or I wasn't busy on Saturday night, just convenient. I'll share my faith. If someone comes up to me and goes, hey, what faith do you have? What is the gospel? I'll share my faith then. But any other nuanced situation, I'm just going to chill, right? Now, why did, so what does God do? This is why we say over and over, the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. Guys, listen, all of us, myself included, have a desire in my heart to pump the brakes and slowly back away from community and from mission. Just slowly. 
you, you get out there and you lay it on the line and maybe something happens or somebody sins against you, you get hurt or you get afraid or the money's coming up short and then oh, pump the brakes, pump the brakes, back off, back off, back off, get back where I can control things. And God says, absolutely not. The only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. He throws us, he calls us, he says, follow me into the wild where we must trust him. Out there, there's no other way but to live by faith in Him. We must let Him do the work in our hearts. Listen to this. That right now, we're not even aware needs to be done. Out there in the wild, God's going to show you something that in your heart that you're not even aware of right now. You don't even get it. Your wife might get it. She might see that thing in your heart. Your friends might, somebody else might, but you don't see it. But out there in the wild, that's where you, it's like this. If you're a mechanic and you look under the hood of your car, right, or no, if you're not a mechanic, let's just do this one. If you're not a mechanic and you look under the hood of your car, you might look under there and go, yeah, nothing's on fire. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's nothing making some crazy loud noise. I think we're good. But if a mechanic looks under the hood of your car, he might see, oh, your belts are cracked, you need a new belt, you're, you, you need a new air filter, you, got a new, you need a new battery. And if, you're not, if you don't want to listen to that and you just go on, it could be 10 below like it is in November sometimes in the Quad Cities. And you walk out to your car and you go to crank the engine and nothing happens. Your battery's dead. You gotta go, now you've got an emergency situation, right? You didn't even know you had a bad battery, right? Now a mechanic could look in there and a mechanic could see that. Now listen, you don't know what's wrong with your heart. You think you do, you don't know. But God looks at your heart and he diagnoses it perfectly. He knows exactly what's wrong with your heart. And the only way to show you, he's not going to send an angel to wake you up in the middle of the night. This is what's wrong. You're worshiping your children. You don't even know it. But you'll, He doesn't do that. He calls us out into the gospel-centered community and gospel-centered mission out where the wild things are so people can press on us and ask us questions and we get flustered and we fail and then we can look and go, oh, wow, I totally didn't understand that I was looking to money to give me something that only God can give me. I was trying to find my security, my peace, my comfort in my finances and not in Jesus Christ. See, God calls us into community and mission so we can diagnose that stuff, so we can see that stuff, because we're not going to see it at home by the fire watching football. It's not where we're going to discover it. See, that's, so it's out there. And I, I'm a guy, this, this gathering is important. I started off this, talking, this, this gathering is vitally important. You know, I want everyone who, who, who calls Sacred City their home. I mean, if we did have everybody who called Sacred City their home and they're in missional communities, this place would be packed every week. So I want everyone to come to the gathering. It's that important to be shaped under the Word of God and be shaped by the liturgy. But there's something different. God calls us out into the wild to show us our heart and to let us re-experience and be reacquainted with the gospel. I love this quote. See, Eugene Peterson says in one of his books that every church should hang a sign over the entrance that says, Beware the God. Beware the God. See, what's he saying? Church is no safe place. Many churches today are like, hey, this is a safe place. This is, safe. This, this is not a safe place. You're going to come into contact, I pray, on a weekly basis with the God. 
the only God, who's wild, who's untamable, who's uncontrollable, who's sovereign, and he's going to mess up your life. He's, and when I say mess up, I mean mess up for the good, okay? He's going to mess up your plans. He's going to block you. He's going to call you out into the wild. And at Sacred City, every single week, we're going to beckon you, day after day and week after week, swim out. I know you're scared. I know you're scared, but God will meet you out there. Live a life by faith. Live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Go out there in the deep and come face to face with your greatest fears. But out there in the deep, when you're confronted with your fears and the waves are crashing over your head and your your strength is spent and you think, okay, I'm going under, I'm drowning now, that's where you meet God face to face again. That's where you feel his comfort and his rescuing embrace again. And it's out there in the deep where his love for you literally swallows up all your fears. And you know what? This is hard to preach a sermon like this because nobody in this room wants me to preach it. (laughs) It's really hard to get up here and preach something that I don't even want to say. God's calling you into a life of more faith, right? God's calling you to take more risks for the sake of the gospel. God's calling you to lay your life down and not pick it back up again. God's calling you to carry your cross and follow me. God's calling you to sacrifice yourself. Now, no red-blooded American wants to hear that. I want a God who's going to give me a pick-me-up and help me do what I want to do. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. And this life of faith where we're going deeper and deeper and deeper into the things of God and deeper and deeper and deeper into experiencing the gospel is going to be more and more and more sacrificial. More and more and more scary. Right? My dad taught me to tithe from the, when I was a little kid. That was easy, really, when I first started. But when you have four kids now, it's hard. Right? Back when you're single, like, I don't want to cap on the single folks. I'm sorry. But there's just a lot more complexity when you have a lot of kids, right? There's a lot more complexity. More, every kid needs ki- shoes, right? I was looking at my son the other day. I've had these shoes for five years. Five years! My kids had his shoes for five months, and I'm looking, I'm like, they got holes on the bottom. How do you wear through shoes? Now listen, what I don't want you to hear is this. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ or you are not a Christian, I don't want you to hear this. I don't want you to hear, I don't want you to reverse the order and think, oh, to become a Christian, you must sacrifice everything. That's not what I'm saying to you. Absolutely not. The only way to become a Christian is because someone sacrificed everything for you. And that's Jesus Christ. But let me just throw a little wrench in the works for Christians. There was a guy who came to Jesus and said, hey, how do I get saved? 
And I think every single person in this room, if you know the gospel, how do I get saved? They would say, oh, you believe in Jesus. But to this young man, he says, how do I get saved? Jesus says, give away everything you own. Give it to the poor and come follow me. That, and it says, that man went away sad. He saw his money as more meaningful than Jesus Christ in his salvation. He didn't really want salvation. He wanted his money and help from God. God says, if you want, if you want to receive, you better open up your hands and let go of everything in it and, and receive the grace of God. So, how do I want us to think about this? I want us to think about Jesus. I want us to think about Jesus. We've said week after week, and this is, I know this is, this is very topical-ish, right? I'm not exegetic, exegeting the scriptures, right? Because I've done that for four separate weeks, and I wanted to pull back from the text. But week after week, we've seen in Jonah, and I've said it every single week, that Jesus is the true and better Jonah. No one has risked more than Jesus. No one has left the safety of the shore and pushed out into the deep more than Jesus. Think about this. Jesus willingly left heaven's shores and came to this earth. That's the wild. Think about that. The all power, and just think about how he came. The all-powerful son of God, the one who his words created everything there is. John 1 tells us that. Jesus is the Word, right? The Word spoke galaxies into existence. The Word that became flesh. What kind of flesh? Baby. God, the omnipotent God, becomes a crying baby boy. Jesus was God, omnipotent, all-powerful, and he swims out into the deep as a baby, completely trusting himself to the Father. That's the obedience of faith. Listen to this. As a baby, Jesus is powerless. The all-powerful God becomes powerless. He can be dropped. He could be starved. He could be unloved. Right? As a baby. These, all these, Jesus completely entrusts himself to the Father's care. Jesus is in the wild. Can you imagine? And I don't know how this, I don't know how it's called a hypostatic union. He's God and he's man at the same time. I don't know how that's working out in a baby. Like, is it like God trapped in a baby? Right? Think about it, if you're an adult trapped in a baby, like you're thinking, like, don't drop me right now. Like, right? You're holding me incorrectly. I need to be burped. Like you're, all right? You know the perfect way to parent, and you're like inside the baby. I don't know if that's how it was. But what I do know, what I do know is he's out of control in a sense. He's given himself up to the Father. One stumble, and Jesus hits the pavement, right? He's in the wild. That Jesus literally risked everything. He leaves heaven, the place of greatest comfort, and he comes to this earth to show us what a life lived trusting God looks like. Our life should look like Jesus if we follow him. But I want you to think about the cross because Jesus is more than just a good example to us. He's more than a, a moral exemplar that we should look at our life and say, that's what I'm going to do and that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to live like Jesus. At the cross, Jesus doesn't just show us a great example of the life of faith. On the cross, Jesus becomes one with us so that we can become one with him. 
on the cross. He takes our sin so that we can take his righteousness. And I want to say this. Nobody can think about what God did in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. No one can think about that and really meditate on that and swim out into the deep of that without it either doing two things, melting your heart or hardening your heart. Puritans used to say the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. There's some of us, we don't want a God like that. We want to be good enough. We want to be reminded how, how broken we are. But the cross, we look to the cross, and, we, and every time we look to the cross, we're reminded we can't save ourselves. The death of, it took the death of God to save me. And at the cross, we're also reminded that's how loved we are, that Jesus willingly pushed out into the deep and did that for us. If you're a Christian, you cannot think about what Jesus has done for you. You cannot think about what Jesus has done for you and then say, no, I'm just going to stay safe right here on the beach. I'm going to give God my heart, but not my money. I'm going to give God my heart, but not my time. I'm going to give God my heart, but not my job. I'm going to give God my heart, but not my comfort. You, you, You can't do it. We give God our sins, and we give God our very life. heart. Being a Christian is more like being, and I I know I use this word and might trip some people out, being a Christian is being possessed by God. It's the Holy Spirit coming inside of us and possessing us and, and the blood of Christ covering us. Therefore, whatever God asks of me, he gave it all up for me and I'm overwhelmed by that, so no matter what he asks for me, my answer is going to be, of course, of course, Lord. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. I realize that that's tough. That's indeed impossible without an ongoing awareness of the grace of God in community and on mission with Jesus. And and that's one of the reasons, again, this gathering is so important. And that's one of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper every single week. We need to be reminded on a weekly and daily basis, how far Jesus was willing to go to save us, all the way to death. And we need the grace of Jesus to go with us as we swim out to where the wild things are this week. And in the, in, in the Lord's Supper, that's what happens. You, re, you, re, you receive the death of Christ, you receive the body and the blood of Christ, and then literally, He goes out with you. You're reminded, as this food came into my belly and it goes out with me, the Spirit of Christ goes with me into mission, into the wild, into community. Let me pray. Father, you are no safe God. You're not safe, but you're good. We want to control you, but we can't. We want you to serve our plans, but you won't. By nature of creation, it's a logical deduction that all good things come from you. You are the source of all life. The psalmist said, indeed, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life.
you teach our hearts that lesson? Would you remind us that whatever you're calling us to lay down, whether it's finances or it's our marriage or whatever it is you're, you're trying to pry open our hands, that you're doing that so that you can fill us with your grace and fill us with your love and remind us of what you've done for us in Christ. You're not trying to take something from us, but you're trying to get something good to us. And I pray that we would hear the, the call push off from the shore and to swim out. That we experience more of you. God, it's our prayer that we see the Ninevites in our city come to know you. And we see the Jonas in our city, like us, come to know you. Jesus, you said you came for the sick. You came to call sinners and not the righteous. May we be reminded of that this morning. And as we come and as we take this supper, would you give us this grace? Would you communicate it to us afresh in in some spiritual way in our hearts? Remind us of all the things you've done for us in Christ. Help our minds lock on that this morning. It's for your son's name and for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.